Hi there, it's Matt here and welcome back to the podcast and welcome back to this mini-series all about insomnia. Now, so far we've spoken about what insomnia is, how common it is, the different types or sort of the different flavors of insomnia, and then we spoke about that three-part stepping stone model of what we think can lead to a bout of insomnia. And those three stepping stones were the following. Predisposing factors, such as having a set of genetics that makes you vulnerable to insomnia. And then experiencing an instigating factor that starts the insomnia. And this is what we call a precipitating factor, such as a bereavement or a divorce. And then finally, we spoke about things that will only make that insomnia worse and prevent you from getting rid of it which is what we call perpetuating factors. And these would be, for example, drinking too much coffee during the day to try to compensate for your lack of sleep at night, or using alcohol in the evening to sedate yourself because of the very understandable fear of not being able to fall asleep that following night. However, Nothing we've discussed so far describes the changes in the body and the brain that may underlie insomnia. And the goal of today's podcast, and in fact also the next episode in this series, is to tell you all about the major discoveries that have provided answers to that question. By the way, why should we even care about getting answers to that question? Well, it's only with these answers that we can ever truly unlock and develop new medical treatments for insomnia. And that's why it's so critical to research and understand. Now, before I go any further, I want to pause because I want to be especially compassionate and sensitive here. If you are suffering from insomnia, and find the discussion of clinical aspects of insomnia to be a trigger or even cause you more worry, then please stop listening. I don't want to make you even more worried. And it's for that same reason that I've actually decided to set aside discussion of the medical issues that we know are associated with insomnia. Knowing those things is not going to help matters if you are suffering from insomnia. Instead, the best advice is to go to your doctor and try to be really assertive and forceful in getting the proper treatment and advice that you need from a board-certified clinician or doctor. And this would include someone who is perhaps trained in what we call cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, and I'll speak about that type of a treatment all in a later episode in this mini-series. Okay, with that being said, back to today's episode. And here, we're going to focus on changes that we've discovered within the body of people suffering from insomnia. <laughs> Which ironically requires me to start in the brain, and specifically your psychological state. A major discovery has been this. Almost all forms of chronic insomnia come with a strong and very specific type of a psychological component, namely emotional concern and worry. 
or better described clinically as emotional distress and anxiety. A sponsor of today's podcast is Element, uh, and that's spelled L-M-N-T. Now, Element is a sugar-free electrolyte drink mix. And for me, it was the sugar-free part that made me start using it really quite a while back now when I think about it. And here again, I buy my own supply just to stay objective with anything that I describe in the podcast. Beyond having all of the electrolytes that you need and in the right balance, which is critical, the other reason I've been a big fan of Element is that it's a scientific product. If you look at the people who created the company, you will find some pretty heavy-hitting physiology and biochemistry and pharmacology knowledge that's all baked into the product. It's not easy to make something that's free of nonsense ingredients these days and is optimized in terms of a formulation and that comes without any sugar. It's non-trivial, but they do it and they do it very well indeed. So if you're a bit of an exercise fanatic like me and you've been looking for a scientific and a clean electrolyte, then head on over to lmnt.com forward slash Matt Walker and you will get a discount off your purchase. So that's lmnt, element, lmnt.com forward slash Matt Walker. Study after study after study has made it very clear that people with insomnia almost always have some kind of a profile of excessive stress and worry or anxiety. And this is perhaps no surprise. We now live in an ultra-modern, fast-paced, information overload world. And we are constantly on reception. But rarely do we give ourselves the chance for reflection. And sadly, the only time that many of us do switch off, disconnect, and start reflecting is when our head hits the pillow. And trust me, that is the very worst time to be reflecting. What I'm talking about here is the feature of insomnia involving that Rolodex of anxiety that starts spinning as soon as you turn off the light. And it's in the dark of night that this anxiety leads to the next step of what we call rumination in your mind. And that ruminating then leads to the final nail in the slumber coffin, as it were, which is that you start catastrophizing. You start blowing things out of all proportion. This is no kind of a mental state for peacefully being able to drift off into sleep or in helping you with get that deep, uninterrupted sleep that makes you feel so restored and so refreshed and so calm and anxiety-free, it turns out, the next morning. And I think we've probably all experienced the two extreme ends of that sleep spectrum. So since psychological distress is one of the principal triggers of chronic primary insomnia, researchers then went in search of the underlying biological cause that is inexorably bound to this state of nighttime emotional turmoil. And we have found two culprits 
that have been caught red-handed in the instigating crime of insomnia, which as a consequence will mug you of your night of sleep. The first of these changes in the body was this, a marked overactive state of the fight or flight branch of the nervous system, something that we call the sympathetic nervous system. Now, (laughs) as I've said before in previous episodes, I personally think it is a very poorly named part of your nervous system. Your quote-unquote sympathetic nervous system is anything but sympathetic. It is very agitating, very instigating. And instigating of what, by the way? It is instigating of sleep-blocking stress reaction chemistry. And it's because of this that we commonly label it as your body's aggravating or fight-or-flight branch of the nervous system. Under normal healthy conditions, the sympathetic nervous system, the fight-or-flight branch of your nervous system, will occasionally switch on in response to a threat or an acute stressor. It was, from an evolutionary standpoint, a great idea when it infrequently happened because it helped mobilize a legitimate fight-or-flight biological cascade response to that very legitimate threat, which is that classic sort of saber-toothed tiger that you escaped a mortal attack from. I don't know why people always use the saber-toothed tiger as this dreaded thing. I think it's actually a very great visual. It makes the point, at least. Anyway, Matt, you're drifting. Get back to the point. So when the fight-or-flight branch is immediately activated, this cascade leads to the following. An increase in your heart rate, an increase in blood flow, including to your muscles, and an increase in metabolic rate. And that increase in metabolic rate also leads to an increase in temperature. Now, like a car engine that is put in neutral, the fight-or-flight branch of the nervous system should not be revved with foot-to-the-floor for long, chronic periods of time. And like the mechanical failure consequences for an engine, there are biologically damaging failure consequences for you, the individual. And what we've discovered is that, sadly, it's exactly this profile of a chronic, elevated fight-or-flight state of the nervous system that happens time and time again in people with insomnia. And it's been an incredibly helpful discovery in understanding insomnia. Because just as you, the insomnia patient, are trying to fall asleep, or you've woken up and you're trying to get back to sleep, you are faced with a racing heart rate and an abnormally raised metabolic rate, which leads to a raised core body temperature. And as you'll remember from our very earliest episodes in this podcast, it is the exact opposite that needs to happen for good sleep. Instead, your heart rate must drop and your core body temperature must also drop in order for you to fall asleep and then stay asleep. Oh, And could you allow me a quick aside story in this insomnia link with temperature? 
because the thermal story is even deeper than we first thought when it comes to insomnia. There was a fascinating discovery from a research team in Australia, and it was led by the wonderful Drew Dawson. They found that when normal healthy sleepers put their hands or their forearm and uh, even now uh, subsequently their feet into warm water, as we would medically expect, they quickly vasodilated, meaning that their hands and their forearms and even their feet got red as the blood vessels opened up wide and started filling with blood that raced to the surface of the skin. And that was important because it allowed the body to start releasing that trapped heat and cool them down after they took their arm out of the water. However, when they did the same thing with insomnia patients, they didn't vasodilate anywhere near as well. In fact, those insomnia patients didn't seem able to regulate their body temperature by using this vasodilation response. And so they could not release that trapped heat inside of them anywhere near as well. So in other words, they stayed hot. And in fact, the research group went on to discover that the degree of impaired vasodilation across these insomnia patients positively predicted the severity of their insomnia in terms of their inability to fall asleep. I find it to be just such a fascinating discovery that is now sort of adding, uh, in its partial way at least, to this contributing mechanism of insomnia. But that's not our story today. Coming back to our main story, it is this chronic activation of the fight-or-flight branch of the nervous system that we now recognize as one of the central common underlying signatures of insomnia. And I said one of because, as I mentioned at the start, there are at least two that we've discovered. The second core revelation is the following. An excess amount of activity in what we call the adrenal cortisol-producing system within patients who suffer insomnia. And that is technically called the HPA axis. Don't get lost in the fancy medical terms if you want to know what HPA stands for, it turns out that it's one of the, uh, I think it's one of the longest, albeit hyphenated phrases in brain science. And it's one that I was forced, uh, rightfully so, to commit to memory when I were a younger lad back at the Queen's Medical Center in the United Kingdom. It stands for the hypothalamic adenohypophyseal adrenocorticotrophic axis. I know. Um, don't worry, it's not going to be on the test at the end of this podcast. But for now, just think of it as the body's chemical stress cascade. This podcast is supported by Athletic Greens. Now, Athletic Greens is a comprehensive nutritional drink, and it contains countless different health components. Let me stop there. I say countless. I actually know the company pretty well and I know how the product is made. And I believe at last count, it's over 75 different vitamins and minerals and probiotics, prebiotics, and other whole food source nutrients. And you consume it every day. 
And I do drink athletic greens. And for the record, I buy my own supply because of all of the obvious sort of integrity trappings that come with free product. And I just don't want to get into that. So as I said, I know the company really quite well, including their stellar CEO. And I trust the creation and their manufacturing procedures. They've got all of the correct stamps, things like TGA and GMP stamps. Basically, they're rigorous. So anyway, if you are mindful of your health, then you may want to check them out at the link, which is athleticgreens.com forward slash Matt Walker. And if you use that link, you'll get some money off your first order and also some free travel packs. So that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Matt Walker. Now, when you experience a chronic state of stress and chronic worry and chronic anxiety, it is this HPA pathway, which, by the way, actually starts in the brain and then through a, a descending chain of command, ends up signaling a message to your adrenal glands, which sit above your kidneys on the left and the right. They, they sit like these sort of little triangular caps on top of the heads of your kidneys. And when that chain of command is activated, that HPA axis chain of command is activated, it triggers the release of a stress-related and very much wake-promoting hormone called cortisol. But here's the subtle twist when it comes to insomnia. If you track the levels of cortisol across a 24-hour time span in patients with insomnia, during the day, they look almost identical to healthy good sleepers. But if you get to the night time, then there are two glaring standouts. First, in healthy good sleepers, levels of that stress cortisol hormone will actually be hitting rock-bottom levels late in the evening. And in fact, they'll hit their very lowest levels right at the point when those people are going to bed, right at the point when they're about to try to fall asleep. And then those levels of cortisol will stay nice and low for the first half of the night before starting to climb back up as the morning approaches. Not so for insomnia patients. They are going in the right downward direction in the early evening, but just as they're about to get into bed and try to fall asleep, the cortisol levels will spike back up again in this almost striking U-turn of hormonal events. And then in the middle of the night, we see more strange spikes in this stress-related cortisol chemistry flooding into the body. And let's think about this. Let's overlay that information that I've just told you about cortisol and insomnia atop the two main flavors of insomnia that we've discussed before, which is I can't fall asleep or what we call sleep onset insomnia, or I can't stay asleep, which is what we call sleep maintenance insomnia. And it's that remarkable overlap with that spike in cortisol just as you're trying to fall asleep sleep onset insomnia, or as you're waking up and trying to fall back asleep with that secondary set of spikes in terms of cortisol, which is sleep maintenance insomnia. 
So when you add all of these two major discoveries together, we've got that stress hormone cortisol being released at the wrong moments of time in excess volume. And then we've got the overactive fight or flight branch of the nervous system increasing levels of chemicals such as noradrenaline and also its sister chemical downstairs in the body that I didn't mention, which I should have, which is called adrenaline, which then raise your heart rate and also your metabolic rate. And putting those two things together, the hyperactive fight or flight branch of the nervous system and the excessive release at the wrong time of the HPA axis triggered levels of cortisol, you can finally see why the body is in no ideal shape to allow patients with insomnia to either fall asleep or stay asleep. Okay, I have given you a lot of detailed information in this episode. I'm sorry, this episode is considerably longer than many of them. But just to summarize again what we've learned today, one of the dominant scientific models explaining the mechanism of insomnia is an overactive biological stress system. And that's linked to the common psychological correlate of insomnia, which is increasing levels of distress and worry and anxiety. And it's that combination of these biological changes that we think are either associated or even triggering the psychological state that results in something that I will commonly hear from some of the participants at my sleep center, which is the following. They will say, look, I am so, so tired. But then I get into bed and I'm just so wired. My mind starts racing. I start ruminating. I start worrying. And then if I wake up in the middle of the night, the same thing happens. This is what we call the tired but wired phenomenon. And it explains, I think, quite nicely the biological changes that I've just described. But for now, I will take my leave from you and I will give you hearty well wishes for good sleep and I will see you in the next episode. Bye for now.